Life is full of what ifs. Some awesome, like what if AI could fold your laundry? And some, well, less awesome, like what if you have unexpected medical costs? United Healthcare can help get you covered with Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans. They supplement your primary plan to help you manage out of pocket costs. No deductibles, no enrollment periods, and especially no more what ifs. Visit uh1.com to find the Health Protector Guard plan for you. So, five years from now, between Florida State and South Florida, who are you buying and who are you selling? Is Nikita Kucherov, the Jameis Winston of the Lightning, great offensive player, but oh, way too many turnovers. And if you're the Bucks, are you drafting an offensive lineman and running back or the best available player? We've got all your mailbag questions answered 100% correctly on this edition of Sports Day Tampa Bay. I'm Rick Stroud of the Tampa Bay Times, along with producer Steve Versnick. Hey, folks, if you're like me, it's hot, it's cold, you're running your AC or your heat all the time this time of year in Florida – and that means your electric bill is way too high. Well, if you want to start saving 90 to 95% off your electric bill, listen to me now. May Electric Solar, that's right, they're a locally owned company, and May Electric Solar is the safest solar available. They don't use high voltage like many other companies. And May Electric Solar has a 25-year warranty on all their equipment and labor. They have a full showroom that's open weekdays. You can see their products and, of course, uh, their wonderful service. And May Electric Solar has been around for 12 years. Now, they've earned a great reputation with their customers and peers. And there's many other solar companies out there imitating their their great name and trying to use it. But remember, they don't subcontract uh, in any way. So uh, just remember, it has to be May all the way. So stop the insanity of these out-of-control electric bills and start saving now. Call May Electric Solar at 727-819-2862. And if you call right now, you can receive a 30% tax credit, just a little bit of time left, through 2019 by changing to solar energy, that's only three weeks to go. So call the real May Electric at 727-819-2862. And Billy May and May Electric Solar would like to wish you and yours a great holiday season. All right, Steve, we have a lot of really good questions. Some people gave some thoughts to these, uh, just the ones I alone that I had in the, uh, the open. So let's get right to it. All right, we'll start with Ellis, who asked, I remember the hope that Cutter's 9-7 and seven season brought this fan base and the subsequent letdown the next season. If the Bucks went out and get to nine and seven, why should Bucks fans expect continued success instead of the usual disappointment? Well, I think uh, what's different about this is you have a young core of players now on defense. You know, back then they were a predominantly offensive team, and if you go back to that nine and seven season, um, you know Mike Smith's defense had just an unbelievable run of creating turnovers. You know, you had guys like Keith Tandy, right? That that was never going to be a star in this league. I think he had something like four interceptions in the final five games and two of those sealed games. So they got on a streak of, of, of just creating a ton of turnovers, which is to their credit. Um, but there weren't, you know, they had not really begun to draft and or develop their defense very well. I mean, you had Gerald McCoy, you had Levante David, you had some pieces, um, but there wasn't that core of players. I think now you can look at their defense and see where it's come from just from the start of the year. And really just from the time week 10 when they got rid of Vernon Hargraves, especially on the back end. And that's where the improvement needed to be made, right? Because the next year, um, you know, they just got roasted, especially in the secondary. They gave up about the most passing yards almost in the history of the league. So um, you look at it now and you go, well, you know, in addition to Vita Vea up front, 
Um, you also have a Shaq Barrett that they could potentially resign that leads the NFL in sacks. That's never happened before uh, since since Warren Sapp was here back you know back in two thousand. And then you you know you've got in addition to Levante David who's still playing at a Pro Bowl level and did not make the Pro Bowl. Devin White, when you see when he's healthy, you see the plays he can make. He's going to be a future Pro Bowl player, I would I would imagine. And then the secondary with Carlton Davis um, and and Jamel Dean. Since those two came on, uh, they've been the the best uh, tandem of cornerbacks in the league since they started together. I think uh, completion percentage is around thirty three percent or so, thirty percent against those two corners. Uh, and, and, you know, you look at uh, a guy like Sean Murphy Bunting, who is leading the team in interceptions now with three, and he had the pick six against Detroit. So, you know, there's a lot of pieces um, now in the secondary, at linebacker, and even some on the defensive line. And I just think that that's the, that's, that's the, the reason why it's not really fool's gold, right? You saw the improvement not only, um, you know, through the year, but you can also project it, you know, going into next season where you add some pieces to it as well. Now, do you know, is it a given? No. I mean, you know, this team has gone 12 seasons without making the postseason. And, and to, to do it, you have to win your division. That's the only guarantee you have uh, is to win your division. But if you look at the division and you say, well, you know, New Orleans has been on top now for three years, but Drew Brees is, you know, in his 40s. Um, you know, Carolina is, is essentially in a total rebuild or restart, if you will, because they're going to have a new head coach and they don't know the future of Cam Newton, maybe a new quarterback. Uh, and then Atlanta is coming off a tough year, even though they you know still have enough talent to win games at New Orleans and at San Francisco or two playoff teams. So it's, it's going to be a competitive division, but um, I think the Bucks, depending on how they you know are able to maybe re-sign Shaq Barrett and or uh, decide to keep Jameis Winston, which I'm sure people have questions about, um, you know, I, I don't think it's as big of a drop off year to year. You know, the next year, uh, you know, the Bucks went in and got guys like Chris Baker off a of free agency and some guys that were really just not very good players and, and probably even in some instances worse teammates. So I think this is a little different. And, uh, and for that reason, look, not everything carries over year to year. I recognize that, but I, I would be. If I was a Bucks fan, I'd be more encouraged by the young players I see um, that are ascending on defense. Okay, Red asked us, is a Bruce Arian style of offense dependent on chunk plays, able to grind out and shorten games after building a two-plus score lead? This year the sample size says no, or do fans point the finger at the defense that allows teams to climb back into the games after the early blowouts? Um, early in the season, it was probably the, the, you know, the latter, I think the defense, uh, was not able to, you know, to shut teams down and they did let them climb back. The offense contributed to that though. And I think, I think, you know, somewhere in there is what's really happened. I mean, remember Jameis Winston has 24 interceptions and he's given up nearly a hundred points off those turnovers, just him, not, not, you know, the fumbles by Darwin Gumbawale or anything else. Just Jameis Winston turnovers, 100 points in a league where most games are decided by three or six points or less. So when you do that, you put your defense in, in, in really a, you know, a tough, tough situation. So um, you know, running the ball has not been something the Bucks have done successfully. It has been effective. And what I mean by that is I think they ran it 30, 31 times last week, and they averaged probably less than three yards a carry. But those runs were still able to create play action and were able to at least, you know, get the linebackers sucked in a few times and, and at least, you know, not dropping into coverage as fast because they still had to respect the run. And 
because of that, Jameis Winston was incredibly successful in the play action. So um, they have not done a good job. You know, this is not the old Dungy days where, you know, if the Bucks had a three or six point league, they would hand it to Allstott and they would grind out the fourth quarter, which is what you, you want to do, right? You want to, you want to, you know, melt the clock and, and, and really strangle the other offense, but they've, they've not been very good at that. Um, and yet, you know, uh, they are, they are a big play offense. They've got a lot of guys running verticals and, um, you know, that's, that's sort of the way they're tailored. So they need to find a way, um, to do exactly, you know, what the questioner says, which is, you know, when you get that two score lead, you just strangle the other team, um, by running foot, running the football for first downs, you convert on third down, but you, you get yourself in good situations and, and you're able to milk the clock. But uh, that's, that's certainly one element that uh, I know people have questions about and probably more questions, uh, even on this mailbag um, about the run game and, and how they're going to fix that and how they're going to be more effective doing it. All right, Mike asks, could you see the Bucks working out a deal for Jameis Winston similar to the deal Donovan Smith got, a little less than the franchise tag number, but longer than one year? Well, I keep coming back to this. It takes two people to make a deal, right? you got the team's needs and wishes, and then you have the player. Now, um, you know, in the NFL, all that matters is what a team will guarantee you. You know, you can make these numbers look really good, um, but the guaranteed money is what you're after. So if I'm Jameis Winston and my options are free agency, where I can talk to 31 other teams in addition to the Bucks, um, or just one team, I'm going to opt for free agency because I'm going to bet that there is one team out there that will give me more than two years. I really believe that. I, I mean – I always come back to Kirk Cousins because he got $90 million guaranteed. And, and you know, Kirk Cousins to me is not really the quarterback that Jameis is, even though he, you know, maybe without the turnovers, he doesn't make as many plays. But still, a team like Minnesota with a good defense and a running game felt that, you know, a, a game manager, if you will, like Cousins is what they needed. And look, they've been to the playoffs. They're going to go this year. So it was successful for them to that point. Now, whether he'll win a Super Bowl remains to be seen. Um, but, you know, for Jameis to do a two-year deal, he'd have to almost forfeit the idea that there's a team out there that would give him more than two years. And I just don't see that happening. I think he'd have to believe that there would be – if somebody was interested in signing Jameis Winston at age 25, that they would want him for more than two years and they would guarantee him more than two years' salary. Um, so would it make sense for the Bucks? Yes. Doesn't make as much sense for Jameis. I think because of that – you know, if you're the Bucks, your decision is long-term, three years or more, uh, or franchise. And the franchise tag has a lot to do with, you know, what happens if Shaq Barrett uh, is somebody you want to lock up and you can't come to an agreement with him before free agency. Uh, that's where it gets sticky. And I don't want to get too in the weeds here, but if, if there's a labor agreement, you know, before the start of the new league year next March, then the Bucks will only have, you know, one – player tag either a franchise tag or a transition player tag and we'll get into what those are uh, but basically if if they don't have an agreement a labor agreement by the start of the league year it'll be the last year of the labor deal and that means that they could actually protect two players basically uh, and can maybe you know lock up uh, both Barrett and Winston uh, through a franchise and or, or and or a ten- transition player tag so they got a lot of moving parts here right now um, but it, it just feels like to me that this might be one of those situations where it's in the Bucks' best interest to maybe franchise Jameis Winston. He won't be excited about that. Uh, by the same token, he'll be getting some $27 million on a one-year deal and can be a free agent next year. They can only tag him twice. Um, and, uh, you know, the downside is is that that money is, is really not, uh, you know, 
not what he what he would get on the open market because he would probably get closer to ninety or hundred million dollars guaranteed. So it's it's going to be a negotiation. It's going to be you know depending on what happens with Barrett as well. And um, but I, I I don't see a Donovan Smith like deal at the quarterback position. I think it's it's uh, too risky on one end and and probably not advantageous for Jameis Winston to do it on the other. Rick, are you surprised at all that Jameis Winston didn't make the Pro Bowl? And I ask that, we know about his interceptions, he leads the NFL, but he's leading the NFC in pass touchdowns. He's leading football in passing yards per game. And he's got two wide receivers that made the Pro Bowl. Meanwhile, Drew Brees makes the team, who's a good quarterback, having a good season, but has missed, what, five games this year? Yeah, you know, it's a, that, that's a great question, Steve. I think, um, you know, it's rare for a player who leads the NFL, as Jameis does, in passing yards and is only – three off the pace with Lamar Jackson uh, in touchdowns. I mean, think about those two things, passing yards and touchdowns. Um, you know, he's got 30, Lamar Jackson has 33, to not make a Pro Bowl. And, and you know, to boot, I mean, we haven't talked about this, but both the Bucks wide receivers, which is really rare uh, for the first time. Now, there's a lot of replacement Pro Bowl players, but to have two guys uh, among the four receivers in the NFC from the same team like the Bucks had – uh, when it when it was named uh, yesterday, you know, in in Mike Evans and and of course Chris Godwin uh, says something about the quarterback. I mean, somebody had to throw them the ball. As great as they are, uh, those guys both went over well over a thousand yards. Uh, you know, I think in the case of Godwin, he is thirteen hundred and thirty three. Um, now, you know, had they both been able to finish the season without the hamstring injuries, they would have you know put up fifteen hundred yards and. Um, you know, one of them would have had close to or or maybe as many as, as 100 receptions. So someone's getting him the rock, and that's Jameis Winston. He's made a ton of plays. Um, you know, I think he, he leads the league in pass attempts. Uh, I think he leads the league in, in you know, the number of uh, passes over 40 yards um, and so forth. But you can't go around the interceptions. You just can't get around that. Two things. One is team hasn't won. This team has not been in the playoffs since Jameis Winston got here five years ago. Okay, now Jameis, you know, was a replacement uh, quarterback and made the Pro Bowl as a rookie because I think about you know three or four guys decided or opted not to go either because of injuries or they were in the Super Bowl. Um, the guy that doesn't belong there. I mean, I don't think anybody's going to argue necessarily against Aaron Rodgers or certainly Russell Wilson, who's an MVP candidate. Rodgers' numbers are not quite as stellar as they used to be. But remember, this is a fan vote is one-third of it, okay? you got the fans, you've got the coaches and the players, okay? A third, a third, a third. And people are always going to check the boxes of the guys they know. Drew Brees missed five games, so he doesn't have the numbers, right? But his team is going to win the NFC South for the third straight year. They've been in the championship game the last couple of years, uh, or, clo- or close to it, should have been in the championship game two years ago. And so I, I think that, you know, it's just it's Breeze's reputation. He just went over, um, you know, I think he set the NFL record for touchdown passes. And, you know, him and Brady are going to handle it, hand it back and forth to each other for a while. Uh, and and it, mostly it's about the Saints. It's about that team, Sean Payton, you know, things like that. So the turnovers is it, when we talk about Jameis Winston and you're talking about voters, you're even coaches uh, and to some degree players. What's the first thing they think about? They think about he's a turnover machine, and you look up and he's got 24 interceptions. That leads the league by far. Um, I think the next closest is Phyllis Rivers with 18. He's had a terrible year. So 
that's what's keeping Jameis Winston from being voted to the Pro Bowl. It is an anomaly. You don't usually have a quarterback that can do these things and still have that many turnovers, but 100 points off turnovers, the Bucks are still just 7-7, seven and seven, and they had to win four in a row to do that. The voting was was actually taken a couple weeks ago in the middle of this win streak. So you add all that up, and you can see why Winston's not in the Pro Bowl. Okay, Scott asked about several Bucks roster decisions for next season, so we'll go through these one by one as he asked them. JPP, another year or let him go? Well, you know, again, uh, that's kind of in JPP's court. I would say this. You know, he got hurt and had a serious injury again, um, this time to his neck. It's remarkable he's come back and played. And for the most part, he's played well, especially after he got himself, you know, kind of back in football shape. Um, But he's going to be, I think he's going to be 30, 32, 31, 32 years old soon. Uh, And he is a guy that's had a history of these injuries. So it kind of comes down to, you know, what is, what is he willing to take? And do you want, you you know, does he want a long-term deal? Does he think he can get a multi-year deal out there somewhere? Um, Does that exist for him? Remember the Bucks would have had control of him for 2020. Um, the contract they got from the Giants, JPP was still signed, but it was a big number. You know, it was four, like $14 million or something like that. But what they did when he hurt his neck, they went back into that deal and they sort of made it a pay-as-you-go kind of contract where he would get, you know, his money back based on playtime. You know, if you get 80% of the snaps, you got this. And it was sort of a per-game deal. That way it, it protected the Bucks in case uh, the neck injury flared up again and he was unable to play the rest of the season. So he really is sort of a hired gun. He's getting paid by the game as much as anything. And because of that, I think the decision to to not have control of him next year sort of is a tell. You know, it's sort of like, well, we didn't plan on honoring, you know, his the final year of that contract anyway. It was a big number because of his age. We figured the production would go down. He missed six games because of the neck injury. So we, we kind of agreed to, to, to shelve that, to get rid of that. And when you did, you recognize that he's going to become a free agent. So, um, I, again, you never say never. I mean, there certainly is a, a place for JPP on this or any other football team. Um, but you have to ask yourself, you know, would you rather have a Carl Nassib, who's a younger player, that's also going to be a free agent? Um, how much of that money needs to go to Shaq Barrett? It's going to be very difficult to sign Shaq Barrett to 18 to $20 million a year uh, and guarantee him, you know, some $60 million bucks and then have enough left over for another uh, pass rusher like JPP that uh, is going to command or at least probably ask for a big salary. So my my initial guess is probably he's not back. Um, but again, if he goes out there and the market is really not there for him, he likes living in Florida, which is his home, and he likes his teammates, and he knows he can work in this defense, you know, he has to make the ultimate decision. It's really up to him. Okay. He asked about Shaq Barrett, a multi-year deal or a tag? Well, if you can't get the multi-year deal, you definitely need to use the tag, and that's where it gets complicated because, as I said, um, it's possible they can tag him and Jameis Winston. They're different tags. One is a transition tag that guarantees right of first refusal. If he goes out there in free agency, you can match an offer, um, uh, and you know you're, you're in exchange for giving him you know top ten money at his position. I think Shaq Barrett knows that he's a franchise defensive end or outside linebacker, pass rusher, edge rusher. And because of that, he knows he can get top money. Uh, and what is top money? 18 to $20 million a year, perhaps. So because of that, uh, you're looking at, at a multi-year deal. Um, and, uh, you know, he's, he's 25. 
26 years old, I think. Um, actually, maybe he's closer to 27, but uh, you still figure he's got three premier, you know, years in him. He doesn't have a lot of tread off his tires. He was a backup player for five years in Denver, um, only totaled 14 sacks in those five years, so not a lot of wear and tear on him. Still seems really motivated, but to lead the NFL in sacks with 16 and a half, set the club record, uh, or tie it with Warren Sapp, probably will break it these next two weeks. So that adds up to a whole hell of a lot of money. And, um, you know, the goal would be to try to get him to, to a longer-term deal. But, again, if you can't, then I think you try to franchise him. But that also depends on what happens with the quarterback. If you really want him back and can't reach a deal, you only have you could only have one franchise tag if this, if this new CBA goes into place. So there's a lot of moving parts with Shaq Barrett, but initially I would say um, it would be really nice to franchise him and then work on a long-term deal just because that's, that's such a big, big investment, right? Uh, and, and if you could franchise him and then, and then go to work on something that made sense for both of you, keep him from going into free agency because my fear would be with the Bucks is that if Shaq Barrett makes it to free agency, which means they don't come to an agreement and they don't tag him, um, there's going to be a team that's going to overpay him. And it's going to be too rich for the Bucks' blood. Now he can come back and and tell the Bucks out of courtesy, "Hey, I got you know twenty million a year for four years from name the team. Do you want to match it?" But I think at that point they're probably going to the guy's going to probably walk out of the building. So the goal will be, as Bruce Arian said, he ain't going anywhere. Well, the only way you can guarantee he ain't going anywhere is if you tag him. Um, and I, I would think that that would be you know what they prefer to do. But then you got to deal with uh, the quarterback as well. Demar Dotson, does he leave? Um, you know, DeMar is a guy that uh, Father Time has caught up to by his own admission, and he says he still wants to play. He's got – now, he's he's the opposite of, of a Shaq Barrett. He's played a lot of football and a lot of wear and tear on those knees. It, it takes a lot for DeMar to play. I mean, from about November on, he doesn't even practice, really on Wednesday or Thursday, and then goes out there and hangs in there on, uh, on Friday. Not as good of a year, um, you know – uh, this year as he was you know a year ago or two years ago my guess is that the bucks will will go into the draft try to, to address the offensive line at the tackle position whether that's finding another left tackle because donovan smith only has about two years left on his deal or moving donovan smith which i don't know if that would work either um but i i gotta believe and nothing is guaranteed but i gotta believe because of his age uh, in his injury history, that the Bucks will try to move on from DeMar Dotson. But again, he wasn't a guy that made a ton of money, I think $4.5, 5000000 million a year. Um, we'll see. I, my initial thought is that they'll probably look to uh, to upgrade there. And Dominican Sue, one more year? Well, it's up to Sue. I mean, Sue is kind of this uh, mercenary player now. It's been with four teams in four years, right? So. Uh, the first question you get, he has to answer is, does he want to continue playing? I mean, you know, when he left the Rams a year ago, they didn't offer him a new deal, even though he uh, helped that team get to a Super Bowl. Uh, and there was a little bit of a pause there where he said he had to, you know, had to ask himself whether he wanted to keep playing. So um, there's no question that Sue has been a great addition for them because they're number one against the run, and I don't think that happens. Uh, I think he's been great for Vita Vea and sort of, you know, helping uh, him develop and, um, you know, develop uh, a little bit of a nasty streak that they were hoping would rub off on, on Vea. Uh, but, you know, you would take the Indomitian Sioux, if you were the Bucks, you would take him again, I think, even at, even at $9.5, $10 million, 
uh, simply because uh, you know he shuts down the run. Uh, and 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 the kind of running backs they play, you know, they they held Christian McCaffrey under 100 yards twice. They held Alvin Kamara under 100 yards twice. Um, you know, uh, Dante Freeman is a guy you know in Atlanta that can run the football, and they played Gurley, and um, they did such a great job against everybody. Uh, that's the one thing the Bucks defense could hang their hat on. So it'd be great to get him back if he wants to play. Uh, it would probably be another one year deal, no matter where he goes. I don't think anyone at his age. But Indomitian Sue is sort of an entrepreneur. He's got a lot of business interests, you know. And uh, so I, I, I'm not sure. I'm not sure. You know, the first question is his. Does he want to continue his career? And does he want to do it here? Or does he want to do it, you know, someplace where um, they're, they're more likely to get into the playoffs or, or win a Super Bowl, which is something he has not done. But then again, if that were available to him a year ago, he would have taken it over a 5-11 and 11 bucks team. So, uh I think I think he likes his teammates. I think he likes playing here, but yeah, that one's a hard one to predict. My my guess is the Bucks will have an interest, but I just don't know if the if uh, if Sue is going to play and and what that number would be. Rashard Perryman resigned him. Uh, absolutely, I think you know Perryman was a guy they could have they could have actually uh, you know let go before the trade deadline, and they would have gotten a compensatory pick of probably a fourth or fifth rounder. And there's value in that, you know. Uh, and they decided not to do it. And at the time, he had a ton of targets and very, very few catches. But I think Brashard Perryman, you know, the thing with him has always been, uh, you know, his health. He's had uh, a ton of knee problems. He was a first-round pick. You know, he has the pedigree of that. He certainly can run when he's healthy. And I think, you know, these next uh, two, three games, I mean, he's already played two really good games. Of course, he had the three touchdown catches against Detroit. Now he's going to go up against the Texans without – uh, Chris Godwin and certainly no Mike Evans, so it's it's going to be you know the Bouchard uh, Perryman show, and they're gonna they're gonna double team him. We're gonna see if he can win in those situations. He's had single coverage up to this point, um, but I think Perryman is is an interesting guy um, that has shown he can run the whole route tree, and and I think that uh, that he's somebody that they would definitely like to uh, like to lock up because. Uh, you know, at least for one more year or so, they've got Godwin and and Evans, and and you're going to need that third guy. So, uh, I think Perriman would be a a good player to have. Now, you know, to what kind of contract? If he if he wants a multi year deal, that's that's big money. Um, that'll be hard to do because you've got to deal with Godwin a year from now. You know, are, are you going to are you going to you know be able to afford two elite receivers making about sixteen seventeen million dollars a year and a quarterback that makes upwards of twenty seven or twenty eight million? I mean that's that's a whole hell of a lot of money. And then you got OJ Howard to deal with in a couple of years, so it may be hard to pay all of them. Um, and a lot of it will just depend on what the market is for Perriman. But if you ask me, would they like to have him back? I said absolutely. Well, Scott continues on. Look to trade one of Godwin or Evans for cap room. Not for cap room. I mean, they have, you know, the cap went up another ten million. It's gone up ten million a year for the last five or six years, so it's now upwards of almost two hundred million dollars. It's one hundred ninety something million. I think the Bucks will have more than ninety million dollars to play with in cap money. Now, that's not total salary. You can do a lot of things uh, with the cap, um, and, and so it's an accounting thing. But uh, I think they have enough cap room to do what they want to do. Um, so yeah, it's uh, it's interesting. There there are a lot of free agents. I mean, look, the whole defensive line outside of outside of Vita Vea, uh, you know, are basically free agents. I mean, you know, Chris, uh, you know, you you can go, uh, you know, 
William Golston. You can say Sue. You can say Bo Allen. You can say, you know, everybody except Vita. And, and of course, you want Shaq Barrett back, but, you you know, he's the biggest free agent you have. So a lot of needs. you got to address the quarterback, either franchise or a long-term deal. You want to lock up Barrett. They can't do everything, but they, they do have enough money to do what they – uh, what they're required to do. The last one he asked about was Carl Nassib. Do you re-sign him? Well, again, uh, I think there would be an interest. You know, Carl is an energy guy. He's a he's a high motor guy. Once they got JPP back, he hasn't played as much. But that rotation is what's been effective. You know, they've uh, they've managed to keep those guys fresh, and that's what you want. So, um, having said that, remember this: they got Carl Nassib off waivers. Okay, and he's played pretty well for two years under his rookie deal. They got Shaq Barrett for four million dollars on a one-year deal, so you can find pass rushers without having to give them all big deals, right? And I'm sure he's going to want to get paid. He's got some numbers. I mean, he's a he's a five to six sack a year guy, um, but again, he brings a lot to your room, a lot to your your defense in terms of his energy. So, you know, am, am I going to you know pay him? You know, ten, twelve, fourteen million a year? No, I'm probably not. So let's see what the price tag is. Let's see how many years he's talking about. Um, but he is a younger guy as opposed to a JPP, um, so he might have an advantage in, in that in that scenario. Carl asked, "If you were the GM of the Bucks and you were drafting twentieth, are you picking by need or the best available? God knows we need offensive line tackles and running backs, also defensive line." But do we still get a quarterback mid-rounds as, as that was the talk earlier in the season? I don't know how this is going to play out. This is an interesting draft to me because, you know, it's not one that you're going to be able to say, well, there's a consensus great top six players and they're picking in the top six. Uh, or maybe they're picking seventh or eighth and somebody falls to them. You really don't know going in who's going to be sitting there. You can, you know, they'll do their homework, they'll have their board, and that's really all you can do. You set up your board. And the draft board is based on, you know, a couple things. One, the value of the position, right? And the number one value for any for any position is quarterback. Now, you know, so you think about quarterback and you say, okay, well, what happens to Jameis? You know, do we have him franchised for one year? Do we have him locked up for three years? There's a big difference there. Um, I think that they would be remiss, even if Jameis is under contract, to not try to find a quarterback that they can that they can bring along and develop. Um, now, whether you take him in the first round depends on the player. You know, um, Tua Tagovailoa is going to drop because of his hip injury. Now, how far he drops is—is is he someone you would look at 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 fourteen or sixteen or eighteen, wherever you're picking? Um, I don't know. Uh, you know, are, are there other guys that uh, you could get in the later rounds, second or third round? You know, I'm not really sure about that either. This team has a lot of needs. Right, and so after quarterback, you say, "All right, it's always an edge rusher or or a defensive tackle or somebody that can affect the quarterback." Um, they've draft, they've addressed the cornerback you know position. They have lots of defensive backs. They've drafted six of them in the last two years, so um, they could still use a safety, but that's not a high value position. So you're looking at the offensive line uh, and maybe an interior defensive lineman to go with Sue, maybe an edge rusher if you can't get Shaq Barrett back. Um, so there's your value, your second value pick. The, the the third one would be tackle, you know, and usually it's left tackle. Now, the Bucks need a right tackle, but could they move Donovan Smith? Is there a guy that's worthy? 
Um, tackles are hard to find, and not many of them are going in the first round because the college game is such that a lot of these guys are never in a three-point stance. They really don't um, play NFL football. You can't hit in the offseason, so it's hard to develop these guys. But if somebody is worthy in the first round that was looking at you, tackle is definitely a need position. I always say this. Everybody says, well, we draft the best player available. What they mean by that is we draft the best player available at at the need that we have. (laughs) And so, um, you know, uh, you're not going to, like, for example, look past an O.J. Howard maybe if he falls to you. And that's what the Bucs did a few years ago, even though they had Cam and Brait and they had Anthony Eclair. It wasn't something that they were – putting high on the need chart. But if a great player is there, you take them. The running back thing is interesting to me. In addition to quarterback, I think the other thing that's unsolved is running back. You know, look, they had a lot of hopes for Ronald Jones. And he certainly had a better year this year than he did as a rookie. That goes without saying. And he still you can still see flashes of his explosiveness and everything else. But at the end of the day, whether it's the offensive line or just Ronald Jones, those guys have not really been high producers. You know, so what if the Jonathan Taylor was staring at you? You know, what if there was a running back um, that was special? And I always say this, that I think running backs, when they are special, you find out right away. It's not a position you have to wait on in the NFL. Yeah, they got to learn how to pass protect, and they got some things they got to do. But as far as you turn and hand the ball off to a special running back, even as a rookie, he's going to make a ton of yards. Um, and they're not guys that you typically sign to two-year, you know, two-year, two contracts um, just because of the wear and tear on that position. Uh, but but they certainly could upgrade their running game. So they could go a lot of different ways. Um, best player available, like I said, it's usually the best player at a need. And the needs on this team could be offensive line, could be defensive line. Uh, and certainly, you know, running back would, be, would have to be something I would look at either through free agency or the draft because I don't think they can run the ball very well. And part of it's on the line, but also part of it's on those running backs. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do it. Sign up now, and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. MintMobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45, equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. All right, we'll switch gears here. And Mike asks, What's your take on Stu Sternberg's comments about spending money in free agency trades in the stadium issue? First of all, I wasn't happy with what Stu said this year uh, as opposed to other years. It seems as if he's given up uh, all hope of just you know playing baseball in Tampa Bay exclusively, and that's a problem, okay? Uh, I, I don't see how Tampa or St. Petersburg would build him a stadium for 600 or 700 million dollars and say hey we're happy to have you uh and, and until you decide to leave in may or at the end of may i just don't see that as as something that's even even worthy of a discussion um but when you listen to Stu, he also makes it clear that you know baseball will not work in tampa bay so he's not only killing it for his, himself but he's killing it for future uh opportunities i'm not sure baseball wants to leave this area um but but Stu does, and so uh, now he has said that I won't. Uh, you know, I will sell the team um, before I would I would move it to you know 
another city, if somebody like Charlotte or Las Vegas or an ownership group wanted him, I wouldn't be the guy moving it. Uh, but he, but he would consider Montreal, though he said Montreal doesn't look like a good option, you know, year round. So I don't know where this leaves us really. It, it just, it seems like, uh, we're getting closer to the end. Uh, there's a new mayor in Tampa. You know, if, if somehow the people in Hillsborough County, you know, found 800, 900, you know, million dollars laying around that, uh, that Stu would contribute to and build him a stadium, would he, would he stay in Tampa Bay? I don't know. Um, cause I think he's convinced that this is not an area that will support baseball. So as far as his payroll goes, look, they didn't spend a ton of money last year. And all I know is they won 96 games, or 97 games or whatever. And they, they took the Houston Astros to game five. So, uh, in the divisional playoffs, uh, the product is not the problem. I mean, they have found ways to compete, uh, being outspent three to one in the American league East. And I think they'll continue to do so. If you don't think they're a good organization, go look at the number of players or managers that are in Major League Baseball and executives that have come from the Rays. All of baseball knows the value of this organization, how smart they are, how good they are. They all want a piece of the Rays. They all want to take chunks out of the Rays and, and, and borrow their, uh, their, their, their genius and their talent. Um, so it's not an organizational. He's built a good organization. It's just whether he can make it viable here. So um, I don't know what to make of the comments. I think he definitely – uh, you know, wants this resolved as soon as possible, at least within maybe two years, uh, to know where they're going. Um, but it doesn't sound like they're going to break the lease. So uh, this is sort of the rhetoric you get. I went through it with football. You know, the Bucks uh, were, you know, when Culverhouse died, they were owned by a charitable trust. And uh, there was talk about that, the team moving. They didn't have a stadium. Uh, no one could make it work here. There was a local ownership group led by, at that time, I think George Steinbrenner and and some others, and and uh, they looked at the financials, and their bid wasn't as high as the Glazers. The Glazers were going to move this team if they couldn't get a stadium deal, but their their out was Baltimore, and and Art Modell stole that from them uh, when he moved the Cleveland Browns, which shocked everybody. And we know the rest. They they managed to pass a, a referendum, a five cents sales tax in Hillsborough County that also included schools and and police and firemen, and it passed by less than than five uh, percent. So. Um, Sometimes it's the darkest before the dawn on these stadium deals. And I don't know what's true and what's just rhetoric, but it still seems to me like Sternberg is focused on something that, in my mind, will never happen, and that is sharing the team with Montreal. I I just don't see St. Petersburg or or Hillsborough County building a stadium for that that solution. Matt asked, if Tampa and St. Pete can't produce a stadium for the Montreal plan, could Orlando come into the mix? Pat Williams' effort to land MLB seems far-fetched, but his efforts could be calculated in hoping that the Rays cannot make a deal with the Tampa Bay area and that Orlando could split the time with Montreal. I don't know about the split time part. Um, it's a smaller TV market. Um, you know, they played some games in Orlando, and I think they drew around, you know, five, five or eight or 10,000 people. I, I, I don't know what the appetite for Major League Baseball is over there. They have the magic that goes up and down based on how well they play. It's a tourist community, largely. Um, there is, there is. I mean, it's it's growing. Central Florida, and there's no doubt that that you know the I four corridor is uh, is where a lot of the growth is. I just don't, I don't hear Orlando a lot, and I don't know, um, you know, like any any area whether they they have the the kind of money to build Stu a, a six hundred million or seven hundred million dollar stadium to play part time in. But um, they've had spring training there. They've had you know baseball has has uh, been a part of that scene. Uh, 
Pat Williams is a is a promoting guy, um, but it it just it doesn't seem like you would want to go to a smaller Florida market. You know, Florida is a problem. <laughs> I mean, all the sports franchises down here struggle. They do, and they don't all win. That's part of it. Um, but you know, Miami's gone through this. They built a stadium that nobody wants to go to because of where it's located. Um, you know, you just you have. You have people, you know, that migrate here. They're not native Floridians. They root for other teams. Um, there's just so much wrong with the sports market in Florida that uh, I don't know that Orlando, of all the areas, is is really even preferred over Tampa Bay. I don't know why it would be. So we'll see. Um, but I haven't I haven't heard Stu sort of mention that as a, as a possibility. All right, young Santa asks: Is Nikita Kucherov the Jameis Winston of the Lightning? Undeniable offensive output, but way, way, way too many turnovers that often end up hurting the team. What a great question, if not a good comparison, though. Um, look, he was benched the other night, <laughs> and rightfully so. And I, I, it was a little shocking to hear, you know, to hear them talk about it that way. But, but you know, he is a liability on the defensive end. You know what? So is Steven Stamkos. Now, maybe Kucherov has been worse of late. Uh, maybe he's worse overall. But I know this. No one's going to confuse Nikita Kucherov with uh, Jameis Winston for this reason. He's been the MVP of the league. I mean, he's won a scoring title. I mean, he's done things, um, you know, that Jameis Winston hasn't approached. And he's been in the playoffs, and, uh, you know, he's taken his team to the brink of a Stanley Cup. Now, he hasn't won it. He hasn't gotten there. Um, But Nikita Kucherov is a superstar already in the NHL. Yes, he's a scorer. Yes, he's... Uh, an offensive player, but you don't pay those guys to play defense. Now, should he be giving the puck up the way he does of late, you know, and, and allowing goals on the other end? No. Um, but, you know, Jameis Winston handles this, the ball on every snap. Uh, that's not the case with Kucherov. When he's on the ice, you want him making plays on the offensive end anyway. So if it gets down to it, something's gone really wrong if you're relying on Nikita Kucherov to keep the, the puck out of your net. That's not an excuse for his turnovers, but – um, you'll live with some of those to have the top scorer in hockey. Uh, so I, I don't think that it's a good comparison, but does he need to uh, protect the puck, as they say, uh, and play maybe more of a 200-foot game? That'd be nice, uh, but it, it hasn't happened yet. And uh, But I, I think it's a, a little a little wild of a comparison at this point. I think it's a little bit, but, but the, the part of the other night when he was benched against Ottawa, it's not that he turns the puck over that is why – you get upset about it. It's the situational t- turnover. And, and what we've talked right. about this with Jameis forever. You're the last you're the last guy on the blue line and you're trying to make a stick move through somebody. That's the time right. you dump it in and go forward. If you're down at, you know, near the goal and you're trying to stick handle through and you turn it over, okay, it happens. I mean, yeah. you, situational you know, unawareness. And yeah. we've talked about that with Jameis. It's the it's yes. the first quarter first you don't quarter, have to you don't have drive. to throw the ball through some window that is impossible to get it through. <laughs> you know, the jump pass, you yeah, know, like yeah. the jump pass on exactly. third down. Exactly. I mean, <laughs> and so I think in that in that case, there is some fair comparison to this. Of it, it you know, Kucherov wasn't benched because he turned the puck over. It was the situational part of it. You're up one goal, and you're trying yeah. to make a move you should never do on the blue line, and that caused mm-hmm. a breakaway, which they then tied the game. Lightning ends up winning in overtime, but mm-hmm. I mean, that's why he was benched. It wasn't that yeah. you know. I mean, every player turns the puck over some, but it's that no, it was, it was that decision making that he you know he it was the right. time and place and situation that he didn't exercise good judgment, which is the same thing we've talked about with Jameis Winston for five years now. 
No, the parallels are there, but okay, then it's a comp. Then let me give give me your confidence pick. More confident that Jameis Winston will will learn to uh, to uh, protect the ball in 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 situational have better situational awareness or Nikita Kucherov. Which one can work on it better? Which one has a better chance of of fixing it? I I guess I would say Kucherov, but. Or, or which one, I guess, can you live with if he does, doesn't does fix it? In other words, Jameis handles the ball on every play. Yes. I mean, this guy can, he's only he, this guy's only on one line, right? He's not on every line. So, I mean, you just – you know what I'm saying? Like, yeah, you can get beat with one bad decision in hockey. You can mm-hmm. get beat with one bad decision in football. But I just think the quarterback position is a little different. Well, it's very. Different. I don't know. Maybe, yeah, I don't. I don't it's think a it's good. An apple, it's, it's a great an apples analogy. Apples comparison, but yeah, it's a great analogy. But but, but the part of the the undeniable skills and right. some bad decision making, right? That part, the comparison right. is 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 uh, it's it, valid. Yeah, it's a valid comparison. I you know I don't. It's not apples to apples, but based on the no, sport and, and position, but and and also the status of the player. Mm-hmm. I mean, Kucherov's Kucherov's the best player in hockey last year. Yep. Yeah, absolutely. So, I mean, and, no, I, and look, I don't know that Jameis will ever be that in the NFL. And look, the, you know, this Lightning team is, you know, hovering around a little bit above 500. It's mm-hmm. December. You're just outside mm-hmm. a playoff spot. Yep. This is the time to make that move. And, 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 you know, if you're John Cooper, I mean, there's there's only so much a coach can control in hockey. You well, can, remember, you, you talk in, about in, the, in the lineup or not, in the ice time. Those are the two things you talk the coach about, can control during a game. You talk about decision making. How about his decision to get himself ejected during the playoffs? Exactly. I mean, there's a bad decision. Uh-huh. You it just was. you just took yourself off the ice. So you know, from that standpoint, it it, it it's not good. But uh, again, uh, I, if you if you ask me who's having a better career and who who would I want on my team overall, I think Kucherov has shown himself to already be an elite player in the league, even with his deficiencies. All right, Les asks, five years from now, between Florida State and USF, who are you buying and who are you selling? Well, when you say buy, sell, I assume you mean who, you know, who's going to have the better run. Look, in the long term, I still think the Florida State brand is pretty damn good. Uh, they play in the ACC, which is a, you know, a, a conference that's not the SEC, but you can still, as Clemson has demonstrated, make it to a uh, national championship uh, if you win, you know, if you win that conference, which Florida State is capable of doing, if if uh, they're able to become Florida State again, you know, uh, they, you know, look, uh, they've got national championships. Uh, they still have pedigree. It's not that far removed from Jimbo Fisher and Jameis Winston winning one. Uh, let's see. Okay, the thing about USF is that I don't think they're ever going to be a Power Five school. I don't think they're going to play for national championships, and there's nothing wrong with that. Um, you know, and I think Jeff Scott's going to do a great job, and I think they will always be trying to hire the next rising coach if they're smart, and there's nothing wrong with that. Uh, you know, if uh, if your coach has done well enough to move up to the next level, then that means he's been successful where he's at, and, and that's who USF is going to be. Uh, and, and, you know, even in the American Athletic Conference, they, they have four or five teams they're looking up at right now, not the least of which is right down the road in, at Central Florida. So they've got to climb their way just to the top of the the you know the American Athletic Conference, whereas I don't think it's going to take that much if Florida State hasn't damaged their brand, um, and I don't think they have yet to the to the point where no one will go there 
Um, and, and I think once they, once they, you know, start getting a better recruiting class and they settle the coaching situation and, um, start winning some games again, you can, you can get to a national championship in the ACC, uh, and everybody will look at them as, as they have, you know, over the years. So uh, for that reason, I think USF's always going to struggle. You know, they're, they're always going to be, um, you know, they can be better than what they've been under Charlie Strong and, you know, and so forth. But, you know, Willie Taggart uh, did about as good as you could do. Uh, nationally ranked perhaps every now and then, good bowl game. Maybe you get a New Year's Six if you win the conference. Um, but that's sort of who they are. But I, I think, I think you know, Florida State's still in a Power Five conference. So that, that gives them the edge, in my opinion. All right, well, speaking of college football, we've got your guy, Matt Baker, our college football writer at the Tampa Bay Times. Tomorrow on the podcast, we'll preview some of the bowl games, including pretty good Outback Bowl right here in Tampa. And the Lightning, they play tonight against the Dallas Stars at Emily Arena. By the way, how about that goal by Anthony Sorelli in overtime to beat Ottawa? Wow. That thing was unbelievable. He's had a couple goals taken off the board because he's gone mm-hmm. into the net or the goalie and this, that, and the other. And that one counted because the puck was through well before he hit the goalie. He's He is a superstar in the making, and we're watching it right in front of our eyes. And we'll get you ready for the Bucks and the Texans. Texans trying to wrap up the AFC South as Vernon Hargraves makes his return to Raymond James Stadium. Me and my buddy cop Eduardo Encina will break that down for you on tomorrow's podcast. So we appreciate you guys listening each and every week, Monday through Friday. We'll be right here. For Steve Burstink, I'm Rick Stroud of the Tampa Bay Times. Have a great day, everybody. 